Monday, May 21st, 2018. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City. We are right here in Denver, Colorado, and you know, we are back again to discuss the world of sports with what we hope is a dose of common sense, maybe just a hint of sarcasm here or there. You know, I hope that you enjoyed your weekend as we get going again today on this Monday. You know, it was a solid weekend of sports. It wasn't a ton of sports to watch, but there were very good things at certain key spots to watch in the world of sports. We're going to be discussing a number of those things today on the show. And no, for the record, I did not watch the Royal Wedding. Not watching that stuff. I don't care about the Royal Wedding. I'm not interested one bit in the Royal Wedding. Yes, I heard some stuff about it, but no, I didn't get up early. I think it was Saturday morning. Get up at like 4 or 5 in the morning, at least here at Mountain Time, and tune in to the Royal Wedding. I'm not doing all that. I did have a few questions about the Royal Wedding, though. There were a number of people discussing it. There were a number of people talking about it. If you went to any social media site at all over the weekend, you saw all kinds of talk about it, a number of people discussing it. I did have a few questions about the Royal Wedding that I'm hoping maybe some of our listeners can help us out with, okay? Here's one question that I do have. Has anyone ever seen Prince Harry and Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback Carson Wentz together? I mean, I'm not saying that they're the same person, but they might be the same person (laughs) because I've never seen them together at the same time. Like maybe they really are the same person. Is it a coincidence that Carson Wentz was kind of out for the Super Bowl and then all of a sudden Prince Harry's getting married and Carson Wentz has been gone for a while. We haven't really seen him do much. And then all of a sudden, Prince Harry's game. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's a little bit confusing to me. I'm just wondering, could they be the same person? I don't know. We never see them together. And until I see them together, I guess I'm not going to be proven wrong. You know, I did hear more than a few people, like it was a widely discussed thing. I did hear a few people saying how cool it was that we actually saw some color at the British royal wedding. I mean, we saw a black reverend speaking about the resiliency of faith dealing with slavery, we saw a ginger from the royal family marrying an African-American girl. And there were a lot of people just saying how cool that was. Yeah, that was really neat. You know, we got to see a little bit of color over there. We got to see a little bit of color come into the monarchy. A little bit different. We're not really used to that. I mean, I guess. I guess that's pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I'm just glad that the royal family finally married outside their own immediate family. So way to not marry your first cousin, Harry. That was really cool. Huge respect from us. But, you know, as far as the royal wedding itself, yeah, I kind of stopped caring about royal weddings a long time ago. And I don't just mean, you know, Princess Diana. Way before that. Like, back in 1776, I stopped caring about royal weddings. Hey, if you would like to contact the show, let us know how early you got up on your weekend to watch two people that you don't know from a country that you probably don't care about. We would love to pretend that we care. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com. Or you can go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at Daily Dose Sports. Maybe you've got a comment. Maybe you've got a suggestion. You might have a question. Maybe you would like to discuss the royal wedding with us. Again, we'll pretend to care, but we'll always give you an answer. And we might even talk about what you send in on the show. So we would love to hear from you. Today on the show, we will, of course, be recapping the weekend in sports. And we're going to be discussing a few things that we learned over the weekend. You know, we try to watch sports and actually learn from them. Not just watch sports and yell and scream at them. Not just watch sports as just a typical fan being a moron, looking at things all emotionally. 
That's not what we do. We try to actually look at sports and try to learn some things from them. So today, we will look at a few things that we did learn over the weekend, and we learned a lot this weekend. At least I did. There's a number of things that I picked up this weekend. I don't know if I knew before, but I've got a pretty good idea about things now. Starting off in the NBA, you know, I learned that the Houston Rockets might be, well, a little slow to learn things. They got back to not moving on offense and just standing and watching their teammates try to go one-on-one in Game 3 last night against the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. And the Warriors, of course, blasted them by 40 to take a 2-1 to lead. You know, movement on offense causes the off-ball defenders to be occupied chasing you around. Standing allows the defense to see everything. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm watching the Rockets offense. Four players are standing and watching. One player is trying to create. So the defense has great vision and they have really, really good rebounding angles. So when you take that shot, James Harden or Chris Paul or whoever it might be, you better make it. And at the other end, Houston tried something a little odd to me. They tried to pressure the three-point line really, really hard which is fine. I mean, Golden State hits a lot of threes, but you know what they did in the meantime? They allowed Golden State to score 56 points in the paint. Yeah, you can take away that three-point line. I'd be a lot more worried about the basket on some level. I understand they're going to hit some threes and you have to pressure them a little bit. You better have really good help side defense if you're going to pressure them that hard. And Houston didn't have that last night. Oh, and by the way, yeah, Steph Curry, he found some rhythm. He went for 35 points, and that is not good news for Houston at all either. Hey, this series isn't over yet. It's not. But when I see Houston trying the same formula, but expecting a different result, it makes me think this series could be over. Game four is huge for the Houston Rockets, and that's going to be tomorrow night. Are they going to change the way they operate? We saw in game two. Yes, they still played iso ball, but they got some movement offensively. Defensively, they took away some cuts to the basket. Last night, they went back to what they did in game one. So are they going to change the way that they're operating? Because right now, I can't see them having success doing this again. Golden State is too good. Houston is going to have to change the way that they're operating. And they seem like they're just a little bit slow to learn that. Continuing in the NBA, I learned that the Cleveland Cavaliers are actually quite capable of playing hard when they feel like playing hard. You know, in Game 3 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals, after allowing 108 points per game to the Boston Celtics in their first two games, the Cleveland Cavaliers held Boston to just 86 points in their Game 3 on Saturday. Cleveland allowed the Celtics to shoot just 6 of 22 from three-point range. But here is the bigger key to me. They allowed just 34 points in the paint for Boston. Think about that for a second. In games one and two, Boston was averaging 55 points in the paint. On Saturday, Al Horford had just seven points. He's been averaging 18 points a game in this series. Now, here is the question that I guess I have. As a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, are you encouraged or discouraged by this massive change? Because what changed? I know some of it was about effort on Boston's side and a whole bunch on Cleveland's side. 
A lot of it was about effort. Yes, Cleveland shot the ball much better playing in front of their hometown fans, but they actually got back on defense. That might have been the biggest key that I saw in game three. They actually hustled back. They actually tried to stay in front of their man. They actually tried to defend their man. Now, if I am a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, like part of me is almost more angry because it shows me, hey, the Cavs are capable. They just don't always feel like doing it. And so when we're watching game one and they don't even show up and then we're watching game two and they stop caring going into the fourth quarter, you could see Cleveland kind of just melted down and said, well, we're not going to win this. Never mind. So as I'm watching game three, it makes me wonder as a Cavs fan, like, are you saying, hey, we've got a legitimate shot at this, which I do still think that they actually do. I do still think they have a shot to win this series. This series is not over. I said that after game two. But it does make me wonder, are you sitting there going, why don't you play like this all the time? And yes, there was definitely a feeling on Saturday like Boston showed up and just went through the motions. No question about that. I didn't think Boston gave much of an effort on Saturday at all. But you still saw more energy and you saw more passion from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that is a little disturbing to me. This is the conference finals. Why don't you feel like playing every game? I don't understand. Now, I have my suspicions that it comes from the very top of the Cleveland Cavaliers roster food chain. And I think y'all know what I mean. I think everybody on that roster goes, well, how is the big dog going to play this game? Oh, he doesn't care? Oh, yeah, we don't care either. But that's just my suspicion. But there is something weird that goes on with Cleveland. This Cavs team is weird. Game four tonight is going to be very, very interesting because, and I'm just guessing, but maybe, just maybe, and I honestly, I can't even guarantee this, we will see both Boston and Cleveland show up for game four tonight. What a treat that would be. Both teams come out and actually play hard. Wow, that'd be really neat to see. Haven't seen it yet. But we did learn this weekend that the Cleveland Cavaliers can actually play hard when they really set their mind to it. They just don't always do that. And as a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, that would frustrate me to no end. Hey, coming back, we are going to continue recapping the weekend in sports by looking at a number of things that we did learn over this weekend. We've still got a lot to get to on this Monday here at The Daily Dose. So let's go ahead and continue with a few things that we learned from the weekend in sports because I actually learned a number of things just kind of watching the world of sports this weekend. I learned that the Louisiana State Tigers have lost their only Heisman winner in school history. Yeah, I don't know if you heard this, but Billy Cannon was actually a bruising running back. He led LSU to an 11-0 record in 1958, and they won the 1958 National Championship. And then Cannon won the 1959 Heisman Trophy. Now, yes, later, Billy Cannon did serve a little bit of time in federal prison for his role in a counterfeiting scheme. I know, I know. Not the greatest thing, maybe not the thing you want to put up on his Hall of Fame induction plaque, but Billy Cannon was a phenomenal player for the LSU Tigers back in the 50s. And he died on Sunday at the age of 80 years old. He is the only guy in LSU history to win the Heisman Trophy. If you went back to that era, he's probably best remembered for an 89-yard punt return that he took back on Halloween night in 1959 against Ole Miss when LSU could not generate points that night, and they were losing to Ole Miss, he broke a number of tackles on an 89-yard punt return and gave LSU their 19th win in a row. Of course, he went on to win the Heisman that year. But here is a clip from NOLA.com 
of Cannon's 89-yard return. He stands on his own 28. He gets a pass from center. He boots it and gets another nice kick away going way downfield. Billy Cannon watches it bounce. He takes it on his own 11. He comes back upfield at the 15. Stumbles momentarily. He's at the 20. Running hard at the 25. Gets away from one man for 30. Still runs the 25. Now, Billy Cannon would go on to play 10 years in the AFL. He played a little with the Houston Oilers. He played with the Oakland Raiders, and he played with the Kansas City Chiefs. Nothing huge. Had a couple of solid years in the NFL. But the thing that stood out to me about Billy Cannon passing over the weekend is that when you think of all of the insane talent in football they have had down at LSU, it's crazy to think Cannon is the only Heisman winner. Think of some of the players that have played down at LSU. I mean, you had Burt Jones. You had Leonard Fournette just recently, Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson, Kevin Falk, Dalton Hilliard, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. LSU always has a ton of talent down there. But you know what they don't have? They rarely get national titles, and they only have one Heisman Trophy winner. Billy Cannon was the most decorated player for the LSU Tigers in their history. You know, I learned that we at least have a chance... Maybe, possibly, a chance of having another triple crown winner in horse racing. We saw on Saturday, Kentucky Derby winner Justify ran through the mud again at the Preakness Stakes to pick up his second win of the three that he needs to pull off a feat that has happened just 12 times in 142 years. Yeah, Justify at least has a shot. It was a foggy, rainy day at Pimlico on Saturday. There were actually only eight horses running in that race. Now, when you hear that, you might hear that and think, well, who cares if he won? There was only eight horses. Yeah, but you also know, you're only putting a horse in that thing if you think they've got a shot. So yes, he only had seven other horses to compete with, but you know he had seven other horses that legitimately had a shot to beat him. He came out on top. And this race actually had way more drama than the Kentucky Derby as Justify actually slipped early. And he had to hold on at the finish to get the win. Here is a clip from NBC Sports. As the field comes into the final furlong, it is Justify in front. Good magic on the outside tenfold. Ravazzo, Justify, he's unstoppable. He won the Preakness. Ravazzo was second. Tenfold was third. Good magic was fourth. And a final time of 1 minute 55 and 4 seconds. Not even the fog could stop him. So now, in three weeks, we get a little more drama in, of all things, horse racing, as we see if this three-year-old colt that really he doesn't have a ton of experience. He hasn't raced that much. Remember, he didn't race as a two-year-old. Can he win at the toughest track of them all? Because the Belmont Stakes are a challenge. There have been a number of horses that have won the first two, but they can't win the third because he will have to run a quarter of a mile longer than these two wins he's already had. Not sure if he's going to be up to the task, but at least it gives us a reason to watch the Belmont Stakes. That should be fun in three weeks. Now, I'm starting to wonder this. I'm starting to wonder what he will even do on a dry track. And who knows if he'll get one, but we haven't seen him really run on one yet. He has now won on two muddy tracks at both Kentucky and at the Preakness. I mean, I guess we'll see how he does if he gets to race on a dry track in three weeks, but we haven't seen that yet. I don't know how he's going to do. Strong horse. 
Looks like he has some major finishing speed. He has showed that in both of the last two races. Hey, well, he's going to have a shot to see if we can have another Triple Crown winner in Justify in a few weeks. You know, I learned in Major League Baseball that the Los Angeles Dodgers, they're just not catching very many breaks this season. Think about the Los Angeles Dodgers this year. We know some of the injuries they've had early on. And just recently, after losing six in a row, the Dodgers dropped to 16 and 26 on the season. There was even talk that maybe manager Dave Roberts might be in some trouble. Now, Dodgers executives came out and said, no, 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 Roberts' job's not in trouble. We're fully behind him. He's our guy. And I know a lot of people said, well, that's got to make him feel better. But I also know that Roberts probably heard that and said, yeah, that's usually what they say right before they fire you. But when the Dodgers dropped to 16 and 26, they were dead last in the NL West. With that talented of a roster, they've just been banged up. And then late last week, they finally got some good news. Third baseman Justin Turner returned from a broken bone in his wrist. It's kept him out of the lineup all season. And we know that as Turner goes, a lot of times the Dodgers do go. He was able to carry them at times last year. When he didn't play well, they didn't play well. When he played well, we all of a sudden saw the Dodgers and looked at them and went, wow. They are a World Series contender. That team has everything. Justin Turner put some pop in that lineup, though. So now he's back, and you're saying, hey, things are starting to come back a little bit. Plus, pitcher Clayton Kershaw is starting to throw again after he missed a couple of weeks with biceps tendonitis. Hey, if the Dodgers do get healthy, this team can completely turn things around. That is a talented roster. They are the most talented team in the National League when they are at full strength. But it's just that kind of season for Los Angeles this year. You get some good news. The Dodgers actually come out and win four games in a row. It's starting to look like it's turning their way. Hey, this Dodgers team might be waking up, starting to get a little bit more healthy, starting to put some things together. And then on Sunday, starting pitcher Rich Hill lasted just two pitches and had to leave with a blister on his middle finger that honestly, it's probably going to keep him out for like a month because I mean, it's baseball and that's just what it does. Now, I do still think the Dodgers can be dangerous. I really do. I expect them to battle in the second half of the season. I expect them to still make a playoff push because they're just so talented. But man, the Dodgers can't catch a break this year. Right when it looks like things are starting to go their way, they get another setback. We'll see how it affects them. But if they could just stay healthy, this Dodgers team's going to be right there. If they can't, they're going to continue to struggle. It did seem like they'd kind of turned a corner. Let's see how they do in the next few weeks. You know, I also learned that the Dallas Cowboys, I'm not sure whether or not to believe the things that they tell us. Like that franchise sometimes seems to talk out of both sides of their mouth. Because remember, just a few weeks after they released wide receiver Des Bryant for being what they said was a bit of a distraction. Oh, and also costing way too much money, like way too much money, especially when he has been hurt a lot. And especially when it doesn't always seem like in the last few years, He's been at the top of his game physically. He may have lost a step. When I say a step, I mean like a few steps. You know, he's battled some injuries. Doesn't seem like he's been the same since he had that foot injury. But you know, the Cowboys said, you know, we're going to get rid of Des Bryant. We're going to release him because he's kind of a distraction. He costs too much money. He hasn't been producing. Well, it seems that over this past weekend, another Dallas Cowboys wide receiver decided to get in trouble and I don't know, see if maybe they'll cut him too. But you know, what? I sort of doubt it. Because he doesn't get paid quite as much, and some of the money that he is getting, it's guaranteed. 
yeah, so I'm not sure that they're going to actually make a roster move. But it seems that Dallas Cowboys wide receiver Terrence Williams was arrested by Frisco, Texas police early Sunday morning for public intoxication. Now, that's not a huge thing. I mean, that's a classy misdemeanor. Who cares? No big deal. Hey, nothing to see here, folks. Wait for it, though, because you know there's more. The police also found Terrence Williams' 2017 blue Lamborghini abandoned after it had hit a light pole in the area of Frisco Green Avenue and Lebanon Road, which apparently is not far from the Cowboys' practice facility. That was at 4.45 a.m. Central Time in Dallas. After police determined that the vehicle was indeed registered to Terrence Williams, they found the wide receiver riding an electric bicycle near his home and they arrested him. Williams was released from the Frisco Detention Center on about a $400 bond. The police are continuing to investigate Williams for now possibly fleeing the scene of an accident, but they haven't charged him with anything yet. Here is what Williams is saying. It's kind of an interesting story. Williams says that he veered into the center median to avoid a collision when a man driving a vehicle in front of him hit his brakes. And then he and the man that was driving in front of him exchanged insurance information and a neighbor drove Williams home where the receiver called for a tow truck to go get his Lambo. Now, this investigation is still underway. Like, they're still trying to, you know, find clues and see if they can locate the missing pieces to all these things. But I am kind of starting to put some of these clues together just, you know, here in Denver. And I'm kind of coming up with a few things. I wouldn't think that admitting you had been driving while apparently intoxicated is much different from being caught while you were driving while intoxicated, is it? I mean, he said he was driving, didn't he? And he was also arrested for public intoxication. Like, do you see what I'm saying? He said, I was driving. I turned into the median so I wouldn't hit this guy. But you had been arrested for public intoxication. Did you get drunk after the event? Like immediately? Because they caught him riding his electric bicycle or whatever that was. Now, I would bet, and I don't know this, but I would guess that the Frisco Police Department just might end up connecting these dots on this mystery, even without Scooby-Doo on the case. (laughs) Here's the thing that I can't figure out. How in the world can Terrence Williams drive a car or ride a bicycle? And no, I'm not talking about him being drunk. I'm not even referring to that. That's a whole different situation. And why these professional athletes don't just go get an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi or whatever it is, I will never in my lifetime know. It's so dangerous. But how in the world does he even drive these things? I've seen Terrence Williams play. I didn't even know he had hands. Hey, coming back, we are going to finish up what we learned this weekend in the world of sports. You know, one half of the Stanley Cup Finals is now set, and one country is not going to be very happy about it. Hey, just a quick reminder that if you do have any shopping to do, you might want to head over to LootCrate.com forward slash Daily Dose, where you can find the latest pop culture collectibles that feature your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, and your favorite video games, June's Loot Crate theme is now out. It is called Colossal. Remember, size matters. And June's Loot Crate theme is featuring colossal characters with larger-than-life collectibles and gear you can't get anywhere else. Trust us, it's going to be big. It features items from Godzilla, Marvel Comics, Ghostbusters, and Jurassic Park. But the best part about ordering from Loot Crate, when you check out, make sure you type Daily Dose in the coupon box 
we are going to get you 10% off of your order. So make sure that you head over to LootCrate.com and check out all of the stuff that they have over there because they have a ton of things and we are going to save you a little money when you do shop over at Loot Crate. So make sure you stop by LootCrate.com. Okay, now we continue with a few things that we learned from the weekend in sports and we definitely learned a few things from the NHL this weekend. First off, we learned that America's hat cannot be very happy with the Stanley Cup Finals. Again. Yes, after winning Game 1 in Vegas against the Golden Knights in the Western Conference Finals, the last Canadian team remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Winnipeg Jets lost four straight games, and they are getting sent home. The expansion Golden Knights of Vegas are headed to the Stanley Cup Finals. And once again, Canada literally gets left out in the cold. For the 25th year in a row, Canada will not win the trophy for a game that they created. Hey, Vegas is a tough team. They lock you up defensively. And goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury is playing as well as he ever has. And he's had a pretty good career. But Vegas is going to be a tough matchup for whoever makes it from the eastern side. It is absolutely crazy that an expansion team is this good in their first year of existence. But before we get to that, and before we look forward to the finals and all that stuff, let's go back to the whole Canada thing. Imagine if the USA didn't win the NBA championship for like 25 years, or the World Series for 25 years, or the Super Bowl for, well, even one year, because we only have American teams in it. There are no Canadian teams in it, or teams from any other country in it. But you get what I mean. Because hockey is Canada's sport. But here was one thing I was kind of thinking about earlier. Just let me kind of think out loud here for a second. The last time a Canadian team actually raised the Stanley Cup was in 1993 when the Montreal Canadiens beat the Los Angeles Kings. Hang on one second. I got to look at something here real quick. What year was... Sorry, I should have done this prior to starting the show, but I just want to look something up real quick. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. I'm looking at this right now. So the last time Canada won a Stanley Cup was in 1993. Justin Bieber was born in Canada in 1994. Like, do you think that's some sort of a coincidence? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so either. Canada, you had better be doing something to try to break this weird curse because there is something going on there. You haven't won it. Since Justin Bieber arrived on this planet. Yeah, you might want to throw some maple syrup over your shoulder or like go do a lucky knock on some denim or like sacrifice a moose or something because y'all are cursed up there. No question about that. And the sooner that you admit you're cursed, the quicker we can all move on and maybe you could actually win something in the postseason. Hey, don't blame me. I'm just stating facts. They haven't won since Justin Bieber arrived. Think it's a coincidence? Yeah, I don't believe in that many coincidences. Sorry, that's not me. Canada, you need to break the curse. Finally, we learned that nothing, and I mean nothing, can be easy for the city of Washington. Because the Washington Capitals opened their Eastern Conference Finals Series against the Tampa Bay Lightning last week on the road in Tampa. Now, Washington hasn't even been this far in the Stanley Cup playoffs since 2011. They haven't been to the finals since 1998, but this season, the Washington Capitals actually got past Columbus in the first round after they were down 0-2 in that series. They came back and won it. 
Then they somehow beat the defending champion Pittsburgh Penguins in the second round. Hey, say what you want. Things are starting to turn around for Washington this year. Things are coming up Washington. And then they start this Eastern Conference final series against Tampa and a very talented Lightning squad in Tampa. And what happened? The Washington Capitals actually won both games one and two on the road in Tampa by a combined score of 10 to 4. This might be Washington's year. Washington might turn things around this year. Then Washington went back home to close out the deal because now they get two games at home. They're going to advance to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then they lost game three last Tuesday. Okay, not a huge deal. They still have one more game at home. Hey, if they go up three to one, this thing's over. And then they lost game four on Thursday night. That's not good. You won two on the road. You lost two at home. Okay, it's tied up. But maybe their luck will change. Maybe going back down to Tampa, maybe that's their lucky place. Maybe they just need to go to Tampa and play another game there. They played well in Tampa in games one and two. But then on Saturday night, we learned that nothing can be easy for the Capitals. Because the Lightning won again 3-2. to two, And now the Washington Capitals are on the brink of elimination again. Yeah, the Capitals could go from being up two to nothing to losing in six games. That game six is tonight. Now, I have no rooting interest in this series. Honestly, I don't care who wins this. But I have to say, I'm kind of rooting for Washington just because I want to see a game seven in this crazy series. But remember this one crazy stat, and we'll kind of leave you with this. Only two teams in NHL history have both come back from a two to nothing deficit, like Washington did against Columbus in the first round, and have blown a 2-0 lead like the Capitals might do against Tampa Bay. Do you know who those two teams were? It was the 1987 Quebec Nordiques. Yes, and of course, the 2009 Washington Capitals. Yes, they've done it before. I don't know, maybe it's just in their blood, but it just might happen again. We will see if it happens again tonight. Hey, we do have a full week packed with more Daily Dose for you. We will be keeping you up on the latest and greatest sports news this week. The NBA and NHL playoffs are still rolling along. We are getting very, very close to those finals. Plus, you know, we're actually going to discuss a few different things this week. Maybe a few things that aren't in the news every single day, but we might have to talk a few different things. We will, of course, have our Daily Dose Power Rankings. We will have some overreactions of the week. And on Friday, we will have a Daily Dose Top 5 for you. It is going to be another busy week here at the Daily Dose. Hey, I have to say thank you so much for listening to the show on your Monday. Hopefully, it helps you get through your Monday. For all of you that share the show, it is very appreciated. Remember, if you are not subscribed to the Daily Dose, wherever you listen, please make sure that you click that follow or subscribe button. You'll be sure not to miss a single episode. Have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a wonderful Monday.